24 teams entered, but only 16 survived. The group stage of the African Cup of Nations is in the rear view. So we'll chat about the best 11 and look ahead to the knockouts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Tactics Room Podcast presented by Breaking the Lines, episode 12. I'm your host, Will Fowler, uh, and I'm so touched, I'm so honored that you would choose to to spend a little bit of your day with us here at Breaking the Lines. And we've got a treat for you uh, with this one. This is going to be a very, very fun episode, but before we dive into it, let me uh, go ahead and get that shameless plug out of the way. If you enjoy what you hear in the next hour or so, please do consider subscribing to the podcast, following us on Twitter, at WillFowler5, at BTLV, so you don't miss any content from the entire brand. Always had to throw that in at the top and at the bottom. If you stick around long enough, you hear that again at the end of the podcast. But what's in store for today? Well, we've got uh, a mild case, you know, it's a strong case of AFCON fever at BTL, and perhaps nobody more than Mohamed Salad, BTL's, as I call him, BTL's AFCON expert. He's been writing about this tournament from all angles since it commenced two weeks ago in Cameroon, and so there's no one better to have on the podcast than Mohammed himself. And he and I chatted for uh, probably, and he can attest to this too, probably longer than we were expecting uh, about quite literally everything. Teams of the group stage, top storylines, favorites to win the whole competition, um, but it's all good stuff. It's a really, really enthralling conversation. Mohammed was a really, really fun guest, so much knowledge about African football and just the game itself. And so I think this is a conversation that you will all really, really enjoy. So without further ado, here is the conversation between myself and Mohamed Salat. So joined now by Mohamed Salad, BTL's BTL's AFCON expert, I like I like to call him. The guy who's been who's been pumping out AFCON content like it's nothing. Finally joins a podcast. We've we've been speaking about this for I don't want to make it seem like it was years. It was really just since the start of the group stage, but it feels like years that, that we've been chatting about about doing this collaboration about AFCON on the podcast. You're finally here. Welcome. So happy to have you. I have to ask you one question before we even jump in. Uh, what for you has been crazier? Has it been the AFCON group stage with all these bizarre storylines and, and upsets and everything? Or, and this is the only time I'll mention it, I'll show, because this is a soccer podcast, but the most recent weekend of NFL playoffs. The most recent NFL weekend is the craziest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life, bro. But if we start talking about that, this, this whole podcast is just going to be about that. But yeah, definitely... The most recent weekend of NFL football has been the craziest thing I've ever experienced. It wasn't even think like it was. It was an experience. Uh, what I love is that uh, any, anybody who follows you on Twitter for the Afcon content is probably now a massive, massive NFL fan as well, just because they see it in your feed. Every, everything that happens, it's like, oh sh- shit! Must I mean, I, I I don't talk about anything else. You, I mean, anyone <laughs> that's on my feed thinks this guy has no life apart from NFL and African nations. I haven't mentioned anything else. Apart from obviously Napoli, who's who's the team I follow, but apart from that, it's literally just yeah. Well, that that's fair. I think uh, I I don't, I don't know if my my Twitter feed is much more diverse. It's pretty much all at this point. It's pretty much all podcast stuff. Like that's all I tweet about anymore. Is like clips in the podcast. Anybody who doesn't know me through the podcast is like, what does this guy do? Like, does he go outside to see like see the sun anymore? And the answer is probably no. Um, so let's uh, let's jump in with some Afcon discussion because what we're here to do is talk about the team of the group stage because we, we've both been following this competition closely um, for for both the website and for the podcast. And as we spoke about, we need an outlet for it. We need somewhere to put it. 
and where better than uh, than on the BTL airwaves? We're going to talk about an African Cup of Nations team of the group stage, um, and I think that we're going to have some some things that we agree on. But I also know that there's a couple that we're not going to agree on. So hopefully we can, we can get some good discussion out of it before we we jump in to uh, to who we've got. I mean, this has been a a fascinating group stage, right? So many individual performances. I think what stands out most to me. And that's reflected somewhat in, in my team, in my best 11. I'm not sure if it's reflected similarly in your 11, but we've seen so many players who don't play in the big European league. So like when we started talking about AFCON pre-tournament, it was always the Salas, the Mares, the these European superstars. And that's why AFCON was so intriguing, right? All this top European talent. And that's why, every, that's why we said everybody should follow it, because it's going to be a lot of names that you recognize. But what we've seen in the group stage is there's a lot of players who play domestically or who play somewhere in the Middle East or elsewhere, Russia, who they don't care about your, your Premier League athletes. They will go out and they will dominate them over a full 90 minutes. Is that, has that stood out to you? How many names we don't recognize that have been that good? A lot of, a lot of people saw my team, my, my team of the tournament right. so far and was so confused that I didn't have names like Mares, Salah, Mane, uh, and it's it's crazy to think that these guys haven't been the best guys in the tournament, but none of those guys fit into these teams because right. there have been players that have completely outperformed them. Like there's guys that are playing for teams in the mid half of the French league, playing for Nantes and playing for playing in the Turkish league, like Fenerbahce and they're dominating these guys. And you'd think what is going And that's the, I think that's the most beautiful thing about international competitions in general. It's not just your Real Madrid, Barcelona, Man City, Liverpool players that will play well. You will see players from teams that you've probably never even heard of. Play, players that are playing in the depth of the African leagues and they're absolutely dominating these guys. And that's the beauty of the African Cup of Nations. Albeit a lot of the players from my team are from teams that you've probably heard of. Um, they're not the ones you'd expect. Right. Yes, and I think that's something that, that we both share is my, my best 11 does have a, quite a bit of European talent, and I, I, I will spoil it. Um, I do have an MLS product in there as well. I have to show some, some hometown bias. I've, I've got to get some, some American blood in there. Um, but, but you're right. It, it is a lot of European talent, but it's not your, your, your players who are in the running for African Player of the Year. It's not your your Manes, your Salas, your your Mares is them. It's it's the players who play for, like you said, the 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 Nantes and the Olympiacos and the PSVs and the ones that are are waiting to make that step. The the Genoas are 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 balling out and, and having fantastic tournaments. The Bolognas, they're they're all they're all there. And it's not the cities, the Madrids, all them. So Let's uh, let's dive in. Let's start. Let's start at the back. I, I don't know how, how much you took into account shape of your best eleven. I've gone for a, a four three three, though. I don't know how it would work. for the exact same formation. And the, one of the reasons I've gone for that is because that's the team. That's the formation that the majority of teams, unless they're playing three at right. the back, everyone that's playing with four um, is using the four three three or a variation of the four three three. So um, that's why either four two three one or four three three with someone sitting or whatever so that's that's why i've gone with the formation it's just the most most common one 
Okay, perfect. So then this will be this will be quick and painless because we don't have to debate over what the better formation is. We can just debate over who the better players are. Um, let's start in goal then. I'll let you kick things off. There, th this was a, a sneaky, different, difficult position to pick, I feel like, because there have been a number of quality performances and for a bunch of different reasons. So who have you gone as your, your goalkeeper of the group stage? Um, my goalkeeper was um, Ibrahim Moncoro, who plays for Mali. And the reason, the reason I've gone for him is because of the penalty save in the first game. And he's just been very, very solid. And another thing that I've... I mean, this goes out to a lot of the goalkeepers in this African Cup of Nations, is usually you don't associate good, solid goalkeeping in African football. Usually, they, uh, usually it's a bit reckless and running out of the box and rush goalkeeper and things like that. But he's commanded his area very, very well. He's come out for crosses. He's been, he's been loud. And he's made very, very few mistakes, if any. And he's won them points actively. So um, I went with him and I think he's only conceded, I think he's conceded one goal in the entire group stages. So, I mean, it was, it was difficult to look further than him. Obviously, the Sierra Leone goalkeeper, um, he obviously won the man of the match and he went viral for being very, very emotional with that game against Algeria. But after that game, he wasn't the same player. I mean, he, he, was, he was a good goalkeeper throughout, but he wasn't at that level where he was called on to that extent. Well, you've just gone and spoiled who my goalkeeper of the tournament is, my goalkeeper of the group stage. Um, although, although, no, you, you do have a good point, and, and I, I, won't, I don't necessarily disagree with, with what you said about, about Mohamed Kamara. Uh, the only player in my 11 who didn't advance out of the group stage is Sierra Leone goalkeeper. Um, but I think so much of the reason why I've gone for him is because of that performance against Algeria, because it's not easy to be, to play for a nation like Sierra Leone, go into a tournament like this one, not really be expected to do much of anything, not just because you're playing against Algeria, who are the title holders, but also against Ivory Coast. So a lot of, a lot of people are expecting to, to make a run in this competition. And as these giants fall, that path seems to be more and more clear for, uh, for the Ivory Coast. But those two matches, Algeria and, and, and Ivory Coast, Sierra Leone took four out of the possible six points. And that Algeria match is the one that really, really stands out. Because you talk about AFCON goalkeeping, the reckless goalkeeping, the kind of running around and doing whatever. And in a good way, Mohamed Kamara exemplifies that. This is a player who's not afraid to come out of his goal and, and rush the ball and, and make his presence known. And sure, sometimes it can be reckless. He's conceded three times in three matches, which is not what you would like to see from from a team of the group stage goalkeeper, but it's the way that he's done it. He, he's he's taken command of that penalty area for better or for worse. Against Algeria, he was spectacular, man of the match. In that result, one of the big reasons why Algeria didn't go through at all was because they weren't able to take three points in that game against Sierra Leone. And you can argue Mohamed Kamara is the biggest reason why. Also, his, his distribution of the ball has really, really impressed me. Um, I, we're seeing a lot of, of these African sides um, go long, I feel like. Um, and Kamara's distribution in terms of, of his successful passes, and this is just stats specifically, um, he, he's distributed the ball decently well in terms of, of, of spraying the ball high up the pitch. Because a side like, like, like Sierra Leone, I mean, it's very easy to be caught out in possession, especially when you're trying to play off in the back. He's not doing that, and his numbers are, are, are really spectacular. So, yes, he's conceded three times in three games. But I've been so, I, and just like objectively, I've been so like attracted to his style of goalkeeping that I, I had to, to give him a shout and throw him in here. That was one that a lot of people asked me about as well. Because on Instagram, I took my picture, I took my team of the season, I went on Instagram, I was like, um, is there anyone that I missed out and anyone that I could, um, I could have done? And he was one, he's, he was one name 
uh, that should have, I mean, a lot of people said I should have put in, but because he's conceded three goals in three games, um, because he wasn't as phenomenal as he was in that first game, I had to go with someone who was more consistent and um, someone who had conceded significantly less. Right. Uh, it, it is a tough decision to, uh, position to pick, though, because, I mean, I mean, I think I, I, the, the official team of the group stage didn't acknowledge either. I think they went for El Shanawi at Egypt as their, their okay. team of the, of the group stage goalkeeper. So three different answers. Um, tough one to pick, but I, I don't think I don't think any, you, you, can, you can't go wrong anywhere. I feel like I think you've got you've got a lot of good, good solutions. Uh, let's jump up to the defense. Let's start on the left on the left side of, of both of us, a defensive four. Who was your team of the group stage left back? My team of the group stage left back was um, Ghislaine Conan from Ivory Coast, plays in the French first division. Um, reason being, he played with three different wingers in because um, they play a 4 3 3. He played with three different wingers um, each group stage. In the first game, he played with um, Kome from Burnley. Then he played with Wilfred Zaha. And then he played with um, Max Grade on that side. And every single one he's played with, he seems to just have chemistry with them. He seems to be making those overlapping runs or in-lapping runs, if you would call it sometimes, um, getting into the box, getting crosses into the box, um, sometimes cutting it back, firing it across the face of goal. He's created a lot of chances for Ivory Coast, and um, I found it difficult to go against him. I, I mean, I don't think there was anyone else. Maybe I'm, prob I'm probably missing someone, but for me, um, he's the one that's impressed me and stood out the most um, in this tournament. Because, yeah, I, I, right, I, I, because Ivory Coast have so many attacking talent and so many ways of scoring, him being one of their main goal threats was, was something that stood out to me. And that, that, that's what is very impressive about, about him and this Ivory Coast side is because there, there is, like, we talk about national teams with all this European talent, and Ivory Coast is one of them. And it's, it's for the players like Sebastian Hilaire and Nicola Pepe and, and uh, Wilfred Zaha and, and the like, and Frank Hessier, Ibrahim Sangare. And we'll, we'll get into a couple more Ivorian players, I think, later in the team of the group stage. But, um, I mean, he, he was, was just as good. And I think from my perspective, somebody who was expecting Ivory Coast to play uh, with three at the back and use wing backs and attacking three, playing a 3-4-3, that performance is, is even more impressive because he's playing in a position that I wasn't expecting to see, that out-and-out left back. And he has, as you mentioned, linked well with the players that he's joined with on that side of the attack. Um, I'm going to go to Cameroon. I'm going to go to the hosts. And this is where my, my MLS propaganda comes in. I've gone for Nuhu Tolo, uh, the, the Cameroonian left back. And this is another player who, who similar to Mohamed Kamara, kind of his best moments of the group stage came in on match day one. It came Cameroon against Burkina Faso. I thought that Tolo was, was man of the match in that game. Um, I mean, he, he, was, he was damn near perfect against Burkina Faso in, in the group stage opener. He was brilliant going forward with the ball for uh, for Cameroon he was nearly perfect in defense I think he he won like 15 out of 16 1v1 opportunities I mean he was spectacular uh, defending out on that on that left hand side and it's tough to replicate that performance over three matches because of how involved and how flawless he was um, and so he did inherently take a bit of a step back but he was still very very good for this Cameroon side in possession he provided them with he wasn't afraid to advance up the pitch he he was was progressing the ball into the attacking half, into the attacking third. Defensively, he still was rarely beaten 1v1. Um, this is a, a player who who played very fearless, I feel like. Somebody who, in a back four, for a host nation, you've got the entire nation behind you. He, he would drive forward with the ball. He would link with players in the attack, with midfielders, with with uh, with players who play along. It was it was Abubakar sometimes. It was it was Tokuakambi. Sometimes he would be linked with... Um, 
uh, Chupamoting when he started in the second match for, for Cameroon, but um, he, he provided Cameroon with a lot of solidity down that left, and we're watching him right now, and actually Cameroon have gone ahead. They're up 1-0. I just glanced over. Um, so we'll, we'll see if he continues his tournament. But for me, it, it's Nuhu Tolo. Um, the MLS product is, is my left back. Another reason I went with Conan is because uh, in the final game, they played against Algeria, and Riyad Mahrez is the player that plays on that side, and mm -hmm. he kept him relatively quiet throughout the game. So um, apart from, I mean, other than his attacking prowess, defensively, he was quite solid as well. So I think both are very, very good shouts. Um, you could go either way, but um, the way um, team of the tournaments work, you can only have one in each position. So, um, Although I have seen teams of the tournament where you disregard position entirely, where you just go, <laughs> if, if the four best defenders were left backs, then so be it. That's your back four. I think that's cheating, but some people... I, don't, I, 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 could, I wouldn't be able to do that. I, just, I, I actually, one episode of this, I did a Champions League team of the group stage. And I, I kind of cheated a little bit. I put like Vinicius and Mbappe as my wing backs. I just got massacred on on social media. I just got <laughs> abused. I was like, "No, that's fair." Like I did. You guys called me. I tried. I tried to to cheat the system. Involve everyone. It didn't. So, yeah, I, I will. I mean, my the midfield was like, it, it was bizarre. It was like Bruno Fernandez and Kunku and Brozovic, and they're like, "That's not how a midfield works." I was like, "No, you guys are right." Like I, you called me. Um, all right. Let's go to the center back partnership. And we do have one player that we agree on and one player that we disagree on. The player that we agree on uh, is the Nigerian William Trustakong. Why don't you give your pitch on him? Um, he was, I mean, in the last game of the group, Nigeria made, I think, eight changes. And he was one that, he was the one of the three that stayed in the team. Um, he was incredible throughout the game. I mean, throughout the tournament. Like, he wins everything in the air. He's composed on the ball. He's calm. And obviously, as the captain, he was, he was a calming presence. He was a leader. He, did every, I, he was almost flawless for me um, throughout the tournament so far. Um, he was good with the ball at his feet as well, finding Ndidi in the gaps, um, whether it was releasing Ola Aina on the right. He was really, really good play. He was really, really good um, in, in every aspect of being a defender. Um, as someone who is a massive fan of John Terry, obviously, he wasn't at that level, but he did everything that John you'd expect a captain to do, uh, marshalling his back line. Obviously, the goal they conceded in the game yesterday was was not really anybody's fault. It was just right. unfortunate goalkeeping. But Trustokon has been the model of consistency throughout this tournament. Yeah, and and I, I agree with you for for all of the same reasons. I think what what intrigues me the most about him is is he, you you can tell. He, he's leading in a number of different ways, right? He's leading via his performance because he's been so, so good and so consistent in defense. But also he does wear the captain's armband. He is the, the vocal leader of that back line and of that side as well, and he's excelled in both roles. I think, uh, take their loss yesterday aside, I think when we discussed the group stage, Nigeria were the team. They were the only team to take nine points out of possible nine. They were the team that looked the most cohesive. They were the team that looked the most like a unit. And, and one of the biggest reasons, and, and you mentioned Ndidi, we'll both get into him a little bit later, but another one of those big reasons is, is Trusta Kong at the back, that vocal leader, that comfortable on the ball center back, that no-nonsense defender. Um, it's a real shame they went home early because they were my favorite side to watch in the group stage. They were so, so good. I mean, um, my favorite side to watch was Mali, but they were, Nigeria were the, were the team that I said were the best team in the tournament. Even right. after the first game, the way they the way they just dispatched Egypt, even though it was only it was, it was only a one nil win, 
the way they dispatched of Egypt with, so, with such ease, and then they continued in that vein throughout the group stage, it was just, it was just really nice to see him. And, and I thought they were the favourites for this tournament. But unfortunately, you can never tell what's going to happen in an African football game. Uh, AFCON, AFCON will, will pull an AFCON and, and send Nigeria home in the round of 16. And that, that match against Egypt was, was a real tone setter, though, wasn't it? Because that was the one that we all had circled on match day one. That was the one where we said these are really are our two title favorites, two, two sides that can go on and win the whole thing. And we're getting a clash right away. And as you mentioned, it only ended 1-0, but it could have been a lot more. But that was the match that really kind of set the tone that Nigeria were going, not that they weren't expected to make a run, but that Nigeria were going to to surprise some people who weren't yet on their bandwagon, didn't it? Because they showed, that first game showed the level difference between, uh, between the two sides, even though everyone expects Egypt to do well. Uh, that game, as you said, was a tone setter and it showed, okay, uh, you guys need to be very, very good to compete with us because they showed like a, a golfing class in that game. Yeah, 100%. And again, such a shame that they went home early because they were getting so much fun to watch. Your second centre-back, and this is where we disagree, who was your second centre-back? My, sec- my second centre-back was Bayer Leverkusen's Edmund Tapsoba, who was one of the guys that were mentioned in high regard going into the tournament because he's just so talented and so good. And I feel like he's lived up to that. Um, obviously, uh, you yourself spoke about their incredible right back and we'll get into that slightly later but um Edmund Tapsoba has for someone so young has marshaled that that defense a lot of people were talking about the uh the Moroccan center back I forget his name um uh, uh, uh size yeah um but because Tapsoba is so much younger than all of these other center backs that are being spoken about it impressed me so much to see him um being such a leader and displaying some of those characteristics that we saw from um from Truth to Kong and um, being so good with the feet and essentially bullying these guys who are much more, much older and more experienced than him. So uh, I feel like that was more of a more of a personal pick because I've been so impressed with him than a pick of him being the second best centre back in the in the tournament. Yeah, and I think when we spoke about that Burkina Faso side, and I know this is a side that you were high on as well, and and me obviously I spoke about them on the last episode of the podcast, but this is a side that. Don't have all this flashy star power, like they don't have the the same top level talent that some of the favorites do. But they were they were still, I think, highly regarded to to advance in this competition. And to their credit, they're into the quarterfinal, and it was largely because of the contribution to Tapsoba in defense. Even if he hasn't played every match so far, he missed match day one, if I remember correctly, because he he had a positive COVID test. But uh, he was going to be crucial for them in defense as Edmund Tapsoba, and it's tough to give a young player like that, as you mentioned, that much responsibility, especially in a competition like the African Cup of Nations, where you're representing your nation in the biggest continental tournament that you can play in. It's a lot It's a lot for, for a player to shoulder, especially at, at that young age when you're playing in the same group as the hosts, when the first match your nation plays against is against the host nation. Um, it's a lot to ask, but but uh, it's a great shout because Tapsoba did a fantastic job at weathering that. And like you said, he was one of their premier center backs, I think, in this competition when he was on the pitch. Um, I'm going to go to uh, the, the national team that I think were the pretty consensus favorites to win. If that's still the case, the, the court uh, is still out. The jury is still out. I'm going to go to Senegal. And I wanted to go to... He was so good on match day three, Kelly Dukulabali, but I can't I can't pick him because he only played one match, and that's 
disqualifying. It doesn't count. I mean, it's it's a shame because if he if he even replicated half of his performance, I think on match day three, then I could make an argument for it. But the guy played in thirty three percent of his national team's minutes in the group stage. It doesn't count. So um, instead, I'm going to go for uh, the the one who did play in all three matches, and that's Abdou Diallo. And and similar to to your your reasoning for Tepsova, was Diallo objectively the second best center back at Afcon? Probably not. You can probably make an argument for a whole bunch of different players. But what impressed me the most about Abdu Diallo were a couple things. Number one, Senegal didn't concede a single goal, all group stage. I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, the only side to go all three matches without conceding. And dear Lord, did they need it because they only scored once. Their, their attack was not working, but they were they were able to weather that storm because their, their defense was, was so cohesive and so good. And Abdu Diallo played in all three of those matches. That's reason number one. Reason number two is he was able to find that success with two different center back partners, of course, with Koulibaly on match day three, but with Abdou Sissé on match days one and two. Um, not easy to, to, be, to, 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 to be at those levels when you've got multiple different center back partners, especially in a small group stage where one error, as we see with Algeria, one error might completely derail you. But what impressed me the most about, about Abdou Diallo is that he's playing out of position. He's not a, a center back. At club level, he plays on the left for for PSG. He plays on the left and in the middle, but he plays mostly on the left at PSG. And he was called in to be the the center back who is the more cons- the most consistent of the three in terms of, of of playing time. He's the one who was called in to play all three matches, um, playing somewhat out of position, and he thrived. I thought that entire Senegal defense played very very well. It was good on the ground, good in the air. Again, played every game out of position. I was impressed by his ability to help weather the storm for the Senegal defense for two matches without their best player, without having Kelly de Koulibaly. And then Koulibaly comes back and, and he looks like prime Koulibaly and all looks good and well. But it would have been easy for Senegal to somewhat capitulate in those first two matches defensively because Koulibaly wasn't there. They didn't. And I think Abdou Diallo is a big reason why. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. It's, it's, it's difficult to argue with that. Um, that... I, my gosh, these conversations are always so cordial. Team of the team of the group stage. Team of the group yeah, stage. no, that, I mean that one there. I mean, I, I don't agree with your goalkeeper. Um, That's fair. <laughs> but um, this uh, uh, Diallo, I I can't I can't um, I can't disagree with it because my my tap sober pick, as I said, wasn't him. Wasn't me saying he's the best centre back in the group stages. Was me saying how impressed I was with him. And um, your arguments for being impressed with Diallo are also very very strong. So. I can't disagree with you there. It's so difficult to to pick defenders, I think, for this as well, specifically center backs, because what do you go by? There are so many different metrics you can use, and you could ask 10 different people, you probably get 10 different center back pairs. So um, let's go to the right, the right side of this defensive four, and this is somewhere that we agree as well. We've both gone for Akraf Hakimi for, uh, for Morocco. Yeah, I mean... Um... Everything that Morocco do going forward. I mean, every team, everything that every team that Sheikh Hakimi plays for going forward comes from that right-hand side. And that's just because he's just so good on the ball. He's so fast. He gets into the right positions. He get, his, his final ball is incredible. I mean, there's not much to say about Hakimi. Hakimi is one of those players that came in, come into the tournament. You're like, okay, even though he's... And it's crazy because even though he's a right-back, you know he's going to have such an impact going forward for his team. Right. Everything that they do positively comes from him or his side or something that he initially started. So um, Hakimi's, I mean, Hakimi's Hakimi. There's not much to say about, about Ashraf Hakimi. I mean, he scored in this third game, I believe. Was it, was it match, day, match day three? 
Um, so he scored, he's created a bunch of chances for them. And similar to Conan on the left-hand side, I mean, uh, they've just been living in the opponent's box every single game and making things happen for their team. So, Ashraf Hakimi. Even yeah, though somebody that you mentioned in your podcast before has really, really impressed me and I was so close to going for him. Easter Cabaret has been yeah. absolutely incredible, bro. It just so happens that the best right-back in the world plays for Morocco right. and he's had an incredible impact as well. But Issa Cabore, especially like, I mean, even the group stage, but yesterday in that game was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And he's one that you, you highlighted and you spoke about um, uh, in detail before the tournament started. So, um, so yeah, credit to you for that one. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, I, uh, you're right. It's, it's, it's all, oh my gosh, it's so difficult when you've got, and it's the same with so many positions. I mean, I, I think I spent 20 minutes trying to pick a, a cohesive attacking three because there have been so many good players. But when you've got a player like Issa Cabaret who's been as good as he's been for Burkina Faso, and, and you you lauded about him yesterday to me um, on uh, on how he played in Burkina Faso's round of 16 match, how, how good he was. But you said it, when you've got a player like Akraf Hakimi who going into the competition, this spot, this team of the group stage right back spot is pretty much his to lose. Uh, it's so tough to compete with it when he plays up to his standards. And this is a bit of fresh air, wasn't it? It was kind of a breath of fresh air because you can criticize Hakimi for, for his, his club season at PSG. It started off very rough and it's gotten better, but certainly not the levels that he reached when he was with Borussia Dortmund and Inter Milan and and all those, and he's still trying to acclimate himself at PSG, and it was frustrating because Hakimi at his best is, I, I agree with you, and maybe it's a hot take, I don't think it is, Hakimi at his best, both in possession and out of possession, is the best right back in the world. It's just hard to make that argument now because Trent has been so good and Hakimi's been up and down, but when you talk about at their best, I think Hakimi is the best right back on the planet, and we saw that in this group stage. We haven't seen it recently with, with PSG, but we saw that in this group stage. Those Those bursting runs forward from that, that right side of that defense. And you're right, everything Morocco do, so much of, of where their attacks come from is through Hakimi down that right, and he's so good at it. He's their, their main source of creativity, a, a fantastic source of width for this Moroccan side. Um, and I have been his, impressed by his defensive work. Admittedly, it's been his Achilles heel for a while, but he was good in 1v1 situations. I feel like he's going to be tested um, a lot uh, in the knockout stages of this tournament because. Um, Teams have, I mean, the wingers in his team. I mean, because I feel like he hasn't played any elite wingers as of yet. Where because earlier we mentioned Conan played against Mares. I feel like in the latter stages of his competition, um, t he's he won't have that license, in my opinion, to go forward because wingers are going to push him back, and other teams are going to be in possession because they've been so dominant in their group stage. They have the majority of the ball all the time, so he can he can provide that whip going forward. But we'll see we'll see how he does when um when 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 other teams also have possession and. They're the ones pushing him back, and he has to do a bit of defensive work. I, I do think that, that that's a good point. It's a good a good thing to mention. At the same time, it, we'll see him his his defensive work a bit more more highlighted in those situations. But also, that makes him more lethal on the counter, doesn't it? Because when you've got teams pushing up on you, they're pinning your right back back, and you've got a center back, as you mentioned, like Roman Saiz, who's comfortable playing in a back three at Wolves, and he can switch over and play in that right center back role when Hakimi goes sprinting up the pitch. It makes it a bit, it's almost weird to say, but that, that makes Hakimi a bit more dangerous in possession on the counter, right? It does, it does, it does. Because he's so quick, like he's right, he's ridiculously quick. Like he's one of the fastest players in the tournament. 
and um, his ability with the ball at his feet, his ability to beat players, his ability to put the final ball in. I mean, Hakimi's just a, a very, very dangerous player. And um, as you said, is his this team of the tournament, the right back position is his to lose because he's just that good. Right. Uh, it's 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 heartbreaking because there's a lot of players who deserve to be in the conversation. But when you when you play the same position as Zachraf Hakimi, uh, you're going to have to be world beating and you're going to have to hope that he misses a few chances. That's not what happened. Hakimi, both of our team of the, of the I keep saying team of the season, our team of the group stage right backs. Both of those went for for Akraf Hakimi. So let's jump into this midfield three. Um, as you mentioned at the top, it's the same midfield for both of us. I, I, I'll offer a couple players who I was considering, who didn't go for it, just to make this conversation a bit more interesting for the people listening. So they're not like, oh, I went for a blank A. Oh, I also did. Good pick. Cool. Let's move on. Um, but let's start with, did you did you sort your midfield uh, in terms of like you got a holy midfielder and two number eights or just three, like a flat three midfielders? Does, the, does positioning matter? Where do you I go? try to do one holding midfielder and, um, and two number eights, but the three that I picked, I feel like have been the three best midfielders right. holding or not anyway. If I had, if I found another, if there was another midfielder that was holding, I wouldn't have restricted it to, I want a holding in two number eights. Like I was picking the three best um, midfielders in the tournament. It just so happened that it was one, um, one holding in two number eights. Cool. Well, I fully agree uh, with, with that assessment. And let's start with our holding midfielder. We're going back to Nigeria, a player we already mentioned. It's Wilfred Ndidi. Why was he so good? He, because, as we said, because Nigeria were just so dominant throughout the, um, throughout the group stage, and then going forward, you've got Chikwezi, you've got Iheanacho, you've got um, Moses Simon. You need someone to just sit there and kind of calm everything down. And just Ndidi's whole demeanor is... He does the simple things really, really well. He'll win the ball back for you, and then he'll pass it to the left back, the right back, play a ball through the lines, between the lines, collect the ball from his defenders. He's always an outlet for the centre-backs. Um, I mean, Truce to Kong and, any, and even the goalkeeper, he can, he can pick up the ball between two midfielders, turn and release the game. Like, the way he plays football makes it, he just makes it look so easy. And I feel like when it comes to number sixes, I don't think there's even a discussion as to who with the numbers with the number eights you can discuss who should play and who shouldn't, but with number sixes I think indeed he absolutely um, that's his position and he does everything so perfectly. And I think we're we're seeing Ndidi's impact in a number of different ways around the globe, aren't we? Because of, uh, not just with how good he's been for Nigeria and that partnership with him and Joe Aribo was one of my favorites to watch when they played in a pivot as opposed to in a midfield three because they were really really good they worked well off each other I thought. Um, but we're also seeing, at the club level, Leicester's midfield is, has definitely taken a bit of a step back without Wilfred and Didi in it. Um, I mean, it's evidence, of course, the loss against Spurs and the draw with, with Brighton yesterday. And it, it's very obvious that they're missing something, and that something is Wilfred and Didi because he's gone on international duty, and he's been so, so good with this Nigerian side, as you mentioned. I mean, they're going to get him back next week now because he's, he's, well, he's they will. the tournament. But... Um... But yeah, no, Wilfred Ndidi, he's, I mean, there's talk of him going to Man United and I don't, like, I've been calling for Wilfred Ndidi to Man United for a long time because I think he's what they're missing too. He's he's one of the best in the Premier League at his position and he does everything so, so well. Keeps it simple, nothing too flashy, keeps the ball moving, keeps it ticking. And with the way Nigeria want to play, um, they want to keep the ball, keep the pressure on. He does a good job of winning the ball back, intercepting, um, stopping the, because 
uh, sorry, because of the way Nigeria are always on the front foot, teams will try and hit them on the counter-attack. He's right. always that safety blanket that will cut out passes and um, stop the other team's attack. And he does it neatly as well without even picking up yellow cards. He's just, he's just good at winning the ball back. And he did it so he did it so perfectly throughout the tournament. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I think uh, one area, because of how good he was out of possession, I think we're, we're short-selling what he did when he had the ball at his feet, right? I think, I think one of the things that really benefited Wilfred Ndidi throughout this group stage was the presence of wingers, like you said, Samuel Chukwuzi and Moses Simon, who like to stay wide and run forward and spread out the, the opposition's defense, their midfield, and that opens up channels for Ndidi to, to play through, to, to feed the ball to a player like Taiwa or, or or wide to the wingers. And that space is there because of the presence of guys like Chukwuzi and, and Simon, who you've really, really got to pay attention to because they're so good 1v1. I mean, this is a player in Ndidi who, as you mentioned, should be the holding midfielder. But strictly statistically... He averaged uh, one and a half key passes a match. That's that, that's not something you see from a player playing as, as as deep in a midfield three as he does. But those channels were there, and he's so good with the ball at his feet that he's able to to progress and and make a big impact in possession of the ball as well. So I think we talk about Wilfred Ndidi, and yes, he's in this team as a number six. He's in this team as the defensive midfielder, but he was was a lot more of a box to box midfielder than I think we're giving him credit for throughout this group stage. No, he's um, Wilfred indeed did everything in midfield for that team. I mean, uh, he even had a, a few shots from outside of the box. I even heard the commentator saying um, <laughs> one time, like, you don't want Ndidi being the player that's on the end of your um, right, the right. end of your chances created. I mean, I think it's a bit disrespect- disrespectful, <laughs> but I mean, it was. It's just a testament to how how he was all over the pitch. Right. No, totally agreed, and and I was so impressed by Ndidi, and I don't think it was a surprise. I think if Obviously, if, if you watch Leicester play and if you follow uh, just African football, you know how good of a player Wilfred Ndidi is. As you mentioned, he's being linked with Manchester United, and that's not the only big club that he's being connected with, but we really saw it, I think, at in this group stage. And again, it's a shame they're going home because I would have loved to see him continue on and, and go up against some of the bigger some of the bigger nations, although he did play well against Egypt, like you said. But um, I don't think he's got much to prove on that front. We know how good he is, and he showed it in the group stage. Um, the other two midfielders... I'm gonna let you kick off uh, our second one because I I want I want to talk about Sangare because Ibrahim Sangare was my breakout player of the group stage before the tournament started. I'm happy I'm right about it. So I'll let you touch on Amadou Haidara and then I'll get into Ibrahim Sangare. Um, I, at the beginning of the show, I told you I think Mali played the best football in in the right. entire tournament and a massive. I'm I'm actually excited talking about this, bro. Like <laughs> it's a massive part of the way Mali play goes through. Basuma and Haidara. Obviously, Basuma didn't start the first game, um, but everything they do goes through Amadou Haidara. He picks up the ball from defenders. He'll beat one or two guys, and he'll he'll play he'll play the key pass, the, sim- the simple pass if he has to. Um, he'll beat a few more guys if he wants to. He'll 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 get a shot in. He'll get into the box. He'll win the ball back. Like everything he does is just so elegant, and it's so nice to watch. And Mali plays such good football. They want to keep the ball on the floor. Um, they want to do one-touch passing. And when you're, when you're playing that triangle football, you always need a point. And it just seems like every triangle that they create, one of the points of that triangle just happens to be Haidara. And he right. just keeps them ticking. He keeps them playing. And it's just, it's just, he's just a joy to watch. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you're as high on Mali as I am because this is a Mali side that are exciting. And by the way, could reach their first World Cup in 2022 if they advance past Tunisia in, uh, in 
the, the playoff. I but, expect them to. I tweeted this the other day. I was I said um, I think they'll dispatch of Tunisia quite comfortably. Not, I, I mean, yeah, I think they'll they'll beat they'll beat Tunisia for sure. I think it was a massively friendly draw too, because there were a lot of powers that they could have drawn with, and, and no disrespect to Tunisia. Tunisia were in the World Cup in, in twenty eighteen, but I think that's one of the friendliest draws. Of, they got. of the five teams they could have drawn, this was definitely their easiest pick. It was right. they could have drawn Senegal, um, Nigeria. I believe Algeria too. Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia. It was yeah. those. It was those five, and then they got um, Tunisia. I feel like Algeria is going to come back with a vengeance, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll chat about that. Maybe episode thirteen. We'll chat about that. Um, but but no, I, I agree. I think I think Mali should be the favorite in that tie, and and it, for a lot of the reasons that we saw in this group stage, and the biggest reason is Amadou Haidara. I was going back and forth between Haidara and, as you mentioned, Basuma, and I think we both made the right decision with Haidara. Just just. In terms of, of, of the eye test, but also statistically, Haidar has been a bit more involved midfielder. He's done a bit more. Um, and this is a really good uh, midfield player pool that Mali have. Because they've got Haidar, they've got Yves Basuma, but they've also got players like Mohamed Kamara at Airbnb Salzburg, who's a player who I'm so, so high on. I love Mohamed Kamara. Um, a player like Diadi Samaseku at Hoffenheim is a part of the, this Mali midfield. Then. It's a lot of really good players, and I think if you went back to the start of this tournament and said which one of those players is going to be the standout, if you said Basuma, you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been clowned. You wouldn't have been that probably would have been the the right answer at pre tournament because of, of of how good he is for Brighton and how many big clubs he's being linked with. And Hadar is a player who's in and out of the the Leipzig eleven. And but we we get to the end of the group stage, and it was so clearly Hadar. I think he was another do it all midfielder. He was Molly's. He was their best ball winning midfielder and their most creative player from midfield all in one, which is a really difficult concoction to draw up, especially for a player like like Amadou Hadar when you're playing in a midfield that's so so deep, I suppose. Um, but yeah, this is a player who pulled the strings. That's a phrase that you mentioned in your your team of the the group stage article. He pulls the strings for Molly in midfield and. There's no better way to to draw that up and characterize it because he really, really does. His involvement is so obvious for this Mali side, and he's a big reason why they are expected, as you mentioned, to to make a run. How far do you think Mali go? We'll get into it a little bit later. Our like actual like live or die knockout stage prediction. Who you have winning it all? And that's where we can we can get on old takes exposed. But for now, where do you have Mali going? Um. I was looking at their draw. I think uh, I think they I think they beat they play uh, who they play uh, tomorrow. What are they after? Good question. I'm playing with a bragging now. Probably something that. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. So I think I think they do. Uh, they because I, I know it's a, it's a favorable draw. So I feel like they they win this, and I think the quarterfinal is where it gets interesting. No, in the quarterfinal they play Senegal. I know that for sure. Like wow. so, the winner of their match is playing against the winner oh. the winner of the Senegal game. They play Equatorial Guinea in their analysis. Okay, so I, I expect them, I mean, we expect them to beat Equatorial Guinea. Right. But then um, in the bracket, they play against, they play against Senegal, who are likely to beat Cape Verde. So right. I think that's where their run ends. I feel like if they were playing anybody else in the semifinal, I would have given them the upper hand. I mean, they're the third best team in this tournament for me. Uh, the top two are, even though they haven't played like it, it's Senegal and um, that are left is Senegal and Ivory Coast. And then I have Mali right there. Yeah. So if they had played anybody else, they would have um, they would have gotten to the um, to the semifinal at the very least. But I feel like their journey probably ends against Senegal. But if Senegal don't start firing, then there's no reason why Mali can't beat them. Yeah, and I think we look at Senegal, and and what I'm shocked by is that, 
Well, I don't, I don't want to spoil a whole lot, but Senegal are, are arguably the, the, the best team at this competition. They haven't played like it, like you said, but there's not a lot of Senegalese representation in these teams of the group stage, which I think is very indicative of how underwhelming they've been. It's a similar story to 2019 when they lost to Algeria in the final, and, and they were the team that was expected to win it all, and they just couldn't click in terms of, of creating chances and goal scoring. They couldn't find the back of the net. It's a similar story this year, so maybe we'll see. Maybe maybe we're in for a shock in, uh, in that anticipated Mali Senegal quarterfinal. Though now that we set it, I feel like if Mali win that quarterfinal game, they win the whole tournament. It's it's that that hot take, huh? I think I think if they if they beat Senegal, I feel like they win the entire tournament. That's brave. I think my only concern with Mali is that the four goals in the group stage and three of them have come from the spot. They're Ibrahim Mekone. I think I think that that's my biggest concern. But their midfield is so so strong. Um, but, uh, you know, now that we mentioned a Mali Senegal quarterfinal, we're going to get Cape Verde and Equatorial Guinea for a place in the semifinal. That's how it always works. That's how it always goes down. Um, tell me what always happens. A few, day, a few days ago, we were on a Twitter space and I, and I said something um, I probably regret now, but I was like, every team we <laughs> expect to win in the, um, in the round of 16, I, I said we were, we're not in for any more, sh- any more shots. Really? That's what I said, yeah. Obviously, Tunisia and exactly. Nigeria, Tunisia is not an incompetent team, so it's not. That's not that big of a shot because Tunisia are a good team. But I don't expect anything like Cape Verde to beat Sen- Senegal or Equatorial Guinea to beat Mali. I mean, that's, that's, why I ex- that's what I meant when I said I don't expect any massive surprises. Yeah, that, that's fair. Although I feel, like, I feel like the knockouts is where we get most of the, of the shocks, no? At least in this competition. That's where we get the, the crazy results. But no, I just feel like there's too many world-class players in this tournament for something like that to happen. Obviously, anything can happen. It's the African Cup of Nations. But I just, right. feel, like, I just feel like it's one of those tournaments. I don't know, man. I mean, I have no reason to to believe this because of what we've seen so far. But I'm, maybe it's just me being hopeful that the world class players will start playing like world class players, and they'll make a difference. Didn't we both have Algeria winning back before this tournament started? No, I I didn't have Algeria winning. Don't oh. don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> no, sorry, but yeah, sorry for uh, for offending you. Who do you have winning? No, I, I mean I had Senegal winning the entire time. Okay, I mean, I've told I've, I said that to you. I, mean, I had Senegal winning the entire time. I still have Senegal winning. Okay, never mind. Because I, I was gonna say if. if you're somebody who has Algeria winning it all, then those no, words. I, I thought the seeding for Algeria was um, was the quarterfinals. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I just know that as somebody who who the team that I picked to win was the most underwhelming, disappointing team in the in the in the field. I know to never speak those words. That those those were out of shocks words because we're always going to get more, and I've I've been burned by them, and I've been clowned by them, and I put them. I on haven't a been burned yet, so I'm just hoping that it stays this way. We'll see. I, w- I would like to see the, the big nations uh, towards the end. That, that's, that's what you want in this country. You want the, the upsets early, then the big nations to be there at the end. Exactly. So exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But as I said, uh, it's, more, it's, more, it's more of hope for me rather than, right. rather than expectation. I hope Senegal and Mali and um, Ivory Coast make it. Right. Which would be a hell of a trio. Hell of a trio. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's jump into Ibrahim Sangare, who, who I love. I love this player. And that's our third midfielder. Um, he was, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned it. This is my guy right here, and I'm so happy he's playing well. Um, this was pre-tournament, my, the guy who I thought, I mean, every competition has that one guy, right? Every competition has that one player who they go into it and you know who they are, you know about them. Um, maybe they play in the Eredivisie or, or in Portugal or the Netherlands or, or Belgium or somewhere. Maybe they play in the lower levels of one of the big five leagues, but there's always that one guy who's on the fringe and uses the big international tournament to completely break out. I think at the Euros, that player was Memo Locatelli, played well for Italy, and then right after he got his move to Juventus. I mean, I think that the, the best example of this 
is recently is James Rodriguez back in 2014. He was the guy, I mean, just world class and then got his big move. So I thought that that would be Ibrahim Sangare heading into this competition. Not that Sangare w- was a nobody. I mean, he was one of the most important players at PSV, but he was a player who's, who's still awaiting to get that big time move. And I thought he'd be the breakout player, and he's certainly been one of them. I, I'm in love with the way that this guy plays, not just at PSV, but in this Ivorian side as well. He was one of my players to watch, as I mentioned from, from episode 11. He just, he just does it all for this Ivorian midfield, one that includes him, but also Jean-Michel Serri, uh, Frank Hessier. But Sangare is the one who, who does the most. And I think what, what intrigues me about this Ivorian midfield is that it hasn't unfolded the way that we thought it would. I thought when we first saw the Ivory Coast lineup on match day one, we saw that midfield trio, and we thought, all right, it's... I guess, a midfield pivot of, of Kessier and Sangare, and then Seri is the number 10 in quotes, because he's not really number 10, but he'd be the most advanced of the three. I think that was um, the the consensus. But it's been the opposite. It's, it's been Seri who's been defensive. It's been Kessier who's kind of floated around, and Sangare has done his bit getting forward. I think it's it's a very unique midfield three that Ivory Coast have. He wins the ball back very, very well. Four and a half interceptions, tackles per 90. But he's also doing loads in the creative side of the game. He's created seven massive chances, uh, two and a half key passes a game, but those are stats. You you watch him and you look at the eye test, and this is a guy who's crucial for this Ivory Coast midfield at progressing the ball, at winning it back, does it all. At the same level, I thought of players like Ndidi and Haidara in terms of importance to his Ivorian side, especially a team that has players on the on the wings who who, who need confidence one but also who, who are so dependent on their 1v1 ability on their skill it's so good to have midfielders in the center of the park who can act as safety blankets if you lose the ball in a 1v1 scenario or if those wide players aren't clicking to have somebody like Sangare who can sit in midfield win the ball back spray it all over the pitch is so so important and we saw that especially in an Ivorian midfield with so much industry but not a whole lot of creativity that's what Sangare is providing um, and it's been so fun to watch. I, I think we chatted about it on Twitter, like this Ivory Coast side. Their problem has always been uh, they've got these fantastic players, but they haven't panned out or they haven't reached where they should have reached. And then I said, well, maybe this injection of youth with Kasudu and, and Sangare changes things, and Sangare certainly has. He's been spectacular. So love the guy. I love him, and I was so happy to see him in your team of the group stage as well. No, Sangare has been... Um, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't know much about Ibrahim Sangare before the tournament. But as someone who's been watching this tournament and you see this guy, this tall, lanky kind of guy, and you're just like, yo, this guy is everywhere. Yeah, He's winning every ball back, but then at the same time, he's creating so many chances. Like, he's the reason I feel like, I'm not going to spoil it, but he's the reason I feel like Nicola Pepe has been so good because Sangare takes one or two guys out of the ball, leaving Nicola Pepe one-on-one um, letting him do what he does. Sangare has been incredible. And I feel like, I mean, as he's only 24 years old. So um, I feel like in the next, probably this summer coming up, he's going to get a massive move somewhere and deservedly so. But there's not much I can add to what you said. Sangare has been absolutely incredible. And I feel like of the three midfielders that we mentioned, I feel like he's probably been the most impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can make a fantastic argument for all three. But I think if you, if you look at... Uh, 
I mean, Ndidi, I guess, Ndidi came into the competition and we knew he'd be spectacular. Sangar Ray, as you mentioned, was a bit of an unknown in terms of, of what he'd provide. I think, if I remember correctly, yeah, it must be, because he wasn't with Ivory Coast for the last African Cup of Nations and they weren't at the World Cup. So it's his first, his first major uh, international tournament and he's been spectacular. And, and, and I'm, I'm so happy to see it and he's getting his recognition. Um, let's jump. We, we already spoiled it. Well, not spoiled, but we already mentioned it. So let's go to the first of our attacking three. Uh, Sangare's teammate, Nicola Pepe, a player who's been spectacular uh, over on the right for this Ivorian side. Um, we both have him in the team. Why do you put Nicola Pepe over on the right? You have him in your team as well? I have him in my team, yes. Oh, okay, interesting. So um, Nicola Pepe for me, I mean, coming into the tournament, I mean, he didn't start the first game. Um, I think uh, Max Gradle started on that side in the first game, but he came on around the 60, 70th minute mark. And ever since he stepped onto the field for them, everything positive that they've done has been from his side. Whether it be, I mean, his, his, his end product isn't, isn't always the best. Sometimes he's, he's shooting over or making the wrong pass or making the wrong decision. But when you get the ball as often as he does, and when you get into the box as often as he does, eventually you're going to score and get some assists. And he's been so crucial for that Ivory Coast team. I feel like because he is now guaranteed starting in that team I feel like now they have a much better chance of going all the way I mean they were they were one of the favorites regardless but now that Nicola Pepe is performing at the level that he was playing for Lille um they can really really go far he's been amazing he's had I think he's got two goals and one assist um and way more chances created the goals that he scored has been two incredible finishes by the way um the assist to Frank Kessie was a nice assist as well gets into the box cuts it back to Frank Kessie it's just been He's just been a joy to watch. And especially for someone who coming into this tournament was definitely low on confidence because he hasn't been playing for Arsenal. He's not played many games, not played many minutes. And um, he's, he's, he's not played much football. He hasn't scored a goal this season. And he comes into the tournament with, within the first two minutes. He's just destroying guys. It's, it's really nice to see. And I'm very, very happy for him. I hope he takes this form all the way through the tournament and into his club career as well. But... Nicolas Pepe has definitely been a very, very impressive player this tournament. Yeah, I think that that's the biggest key with Pepe is, is that question mark surrounding his ability because he is such a confidence player. He is such a player that's, because of his skill set, is dependent on feeling confident and, 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 and knowing what he's, what he's able to do. Because you've got a player like Nicolas Pepe who's so creative and, and can make those weaving runs and can attack wide defenders 1v1, but... Those are the kinds of players who can just as easily flop in a match if they're not high on confidence because it requires so much, like a flair-based game like that requires so much confidence to be able to consistently do it. And that was the big question mark with this Ivorian side was would the wide players be able to provide that? Because, I mean, you look at a guy like Nicola Pepe, but also Wilfred Zaha, who's, who's cut of a, of a similar mold. And um, they're, they're, they both can, when they're at their best, they can both break a game. They can both take control, but we didn't know if they'd be at their best. And Nicola Pepe has been, absolutely. And, and you mentioned he didn't start on match day one. He came on in the 60th, 70th minute. But, I mean, match day two against Sierra Leone, my God, was he everywhere. That guy was unbelievable. He could have scored four or five in that game alone if he had a better finish. In, if he had a better finish. Yeah, I mean, he, he was... He was everywhere. He, he did everything for that Ivorian side, especially down that right. And, and say what you want, it was, it was 
thinking about that group, it was probably the, the weakest opposition they'd play in Sierra Leone. But still, I mean, it, it was a spectacular performance. He did everything for that Ivorian side. And then against Algeria as well. I mean, we talk about, about Mohamed Kamara in goal for Sierra Leone as one of the reasons why Algeria were sent home in the group stage. Nicolo Pepe is the other reason why they were sent home in the group stage because he, a goal and an assist in that match against Algeria, one that they needed to win against Ivory Coast in order to, to have a shot at finishing second or third in the group. They get shut out. Um, and Nicolo Pepe, two goal involvements. I, I think if you discuss potential players to put over on the right of an attacking three, Nicolo Pepe is in a class of his own. And... and it depends on what you call right wingers. I mean, there are, there are some teams of, of the group stage, teams of the year, where you put a left wing over on the right and just say that they're a winger. But I think if we're talking about wingers who play on the right at AFCON, I think Nicola Pepe has been in a class of his own. That's how, how game-breaking he's been. One Another thing that impressed me about Nicola Pepe was, um, I noticed this specifically in the game against Algeria, was his tracking back ability, him covering right, right. Serge Aurier, consistently or whoever was playing at the right back because I know they took off Aurier at some point and him just being the last defender at times and tracking back and winning tackles it was really really good to see um to go along with attacking output and as you said he's in, he's, he's been in a class of his own I feel like with wingers in general not just not just um right wingers I feel like he's been the premier winger in the tournament so far yeah, and I wouldn't disagree. I, w- I wouldn't launch an argument against that. That's how good he's been. And it's exciting for an Ivorian side that, that need that because they've underwhelmed. They're already out of World Cup qualifying. They haven't made it since 2014. They've underwhelmed in AFCON. And a lot of it's been because they, they, the, these really skilled attacking players have not been able to click, and it looks like they're finally clicking. That's a really good front three with, with uh, Gradle, like you said, but also Pepe and um, Zaha when, he, when he's playing and Sebastian Hilaire at the center of all of it. It's a really good attacking three, and it's, it's got loads of goal scoring potential. Maxwell Cornet as well. Maxwell Cornet, yeah. So it's it's a, 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 lot, a lot of skill in that in that attacking three, and if they can get it to click, uh, especially given Senegal's goal scoring woes, you could, I think, make a reasonable argument that Ivory Coast are the favorite. At, at this stage, with no more Nigeria, Ivory Coast are the favorite to win the competition. I think there's a couple sides you can throw in there. I think you probably named the big three. Um Unless I'm missing one, unless you're really high on Morocco for whatever reason, but um, Cameroon. Cameroon. Cameroon as well, right? Um, but I think there's there's just a good argument for Ivory Coast as, as anybody else still in the field, and it's all a lot has to do with with Nicolo Pepe's contribution. Um, so there's two players left. We've got our center forward and our player over on the left. Do you want to end with the player that we disagree on, or do you want to end with the striker? Okay, so I feel like we agree on the striker i feel like yeah. we disagree on the left winger so yes. i feel like we should end on the striker because i mean he deserves it and he's probably been the player of the tournament this like in general so far this tournament so um yeah uh, we'll go we'll go with left wing first and Perfect. i went with i went with moses simon of nigeria and he's one player i had no idea who he was coming into the tournament and when i saw him play in that first game against egypt i was in shock i was like who's this guy that's just ripping these egyptian defenders so <laughs> so easily the goal that um Iannacho scored came from him um in the third game of the tournament in in the in the final game of the group stages he was the man of the match in the second game he was effective like moses simon has been so so impressive and he was one of the reasons where i thought 
because everybody knew about Chikwezi from Villarreal. Everyone knew about Kelechi and Acho. Everyone thought who was going to be that third player in that team. Everyone thought it was going to be Victor Osimhen um, of Napoli, but he didn't go. So Moses Simon was the one to, to take that to take that role. And he was absolutely unbelievable. I thought we would absolutely agree on Moses Simon. I had no idea that this would be the... Uh, yeah, I didn't think there would be any any doubt with Moses Simon. I'm actually quite surprised. I thought we'd have the same front three. But um, Moses Simon has been incredible for me. Yeah, I think uh, I actually uh, object... Um... Full transparency, I had Moses Simon written down for a long, long time. And then I did a bit more research and I was like, you know what? He's been fantastic. But you look at a guy like Musa Barrow and maybe his contributions are not the same. It, like, like, uh, like, may, like on paper, sure, maybe Moses Simon has done more for this Nigerian side. But Musa Barrow is playing for the lowest ranked nation in the competition. Gambia are FIFA's 150th ranked nation. And Musa Barrow has almost single-handedly dragged them into the knockout stage. It, it's, and not just that, they're unbeaten. He dragged them into the quarterfinal. Dragged them into the quarterfinal. That's right, because they won. And he, like, it, what this guy has done for this competition's lowest ranked side, they were unbeaten in the group stage. That's, I mean, when I was making my bracket, I, I, punted Gambia off the 10th story window. I didn't think they had any business being here. And Musa Barrow has just completely flipped that on its head. A goal and two assists. And Gambia in possession, it's not, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. I mean, it's not overly difficult to figure out what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the ball quickly up to their, up to their attacking players, um, specifically Musa Barrow. And he has converted at a very, very impressive rate. Um, Simply put, I think Gambia are back on a plane back home without Musa Barra in the side. And I think they're probably on a plane back home without having taken a single point from the group stage. Instead, they took five. They're into the quarterfinal. Um, and they beat some pretty damn good sides. I mean, they beat Guinea. They beat Tunisia. Um, and, and they drew with Mali, who was a side that we're both high on. So I think a lot of that is thanks to Musa Barrow. I get it. I get Moses Simon with the, the eye candy. He's been spectacular and he's been one of the best fingers in this competition. But when you compare a player with what their expectations were, I've got to go for Musa Barrow. Can I change my pick? Because <laughs> um, as soon as you mentioned Musa Barrow, right? I mean, not that I wasn't thinking about him because I, t- I, don't, I don't know if you see my tweets, but I tweet about Musa Barrow right. every single day, right? I think he's <laughs> absolutely incredible, right? Um, but I feel like I've, I focus too heavily on the numbers and the goal, the man right. of the matches and stuff like that rather than the impact that he's had for his team. Like, you know, when we talk about MVP in American football, we talk about the most valuable player. Like, right. without, as you, without Musa Barrow, they get zero points and they're already playing for club football again, you know? So Musa Barrow has been absolutely incredible. Even today, like, every single thing that they... And Guinea's a much better team than Gambia. Like, let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. Guinea, before the tournament, was a lot of people's dark horses. I'm sure, I think even you spoke about Guinea. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Yeah, so the fact that Musa Barrow is literally dragging this team to a quarterfinal of a, of their first, it's their first tournament, to a quarterfinal of their first major competition, um, like, you can't disregard that. You can't disregard what Musa Barrow has done. And um, I, f- I feel like I'm going to agree with you on this one, and um, you've, you've definitely won me over. Well, I'm glad, because uh, that means that I did my research. But no, I mean, Musa Barrow, I mean... I, I know you're, you're a player who's very high on Musa Barrow and, and a Serie A product, somebody who, who uh, actually a lot of what I 
know about Musabero pre-tournament, uh, I got from our conversations because he's a player who who you know quite a bit about, right? He plays in Syria. Musabero, Musabero is 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 someone who who is big for African representation for me personally, right? Because you've got the lowest ranked side in the Serie A. I mean, sorry, the lowest ranked side in the African Cup of Nations, like 150th in the world, and they've got a 20 million euro striker. Right. That just that's just a testament to how far African football has come. Like it's not just Didier Drogba, Yaya Torre, Samuel Eto'o anymore. Every single team has these incredible players, and Musa Barrow is a testament to that. And he, for me, embodies and is a representation of how far African football has come. For Gambia yeah. to have a of that caliber is just ridiculous. And I think that's a fantastic point. And and we're seeing it kind of across the board, aren't we? We're seeing a lot of these these I don't want to call them minnow nations, but the ones that aren't the the big favorites, and they've still got got these players that can flip a game on its head. It's not just it's not just Gambia anymore. It's a lot of these nations. It's Burkina Faso. It's um so 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 many nations have that one guy that again it's not a, it's not a five hundred million rated squad, but you've got the guy. You you've got a player who from from a non traditional footballing nation who is just. I mean, just to have a player in Serie A for, for a nation ranked that low in FIFA is, is an accomplishment. But to have it be Musa Barrow, who's so highly rated in, in Italian football, and, and as you mentioned, his value is, is that high, it's, it is a testament to, to the development of African football. I fully agree. So there we go. We got Pepe and uh, Barrow slash Simon, although maybe maybe that, that BTL article is going to need a, a revision after yep, this podcast. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I might do a whole to... article on Musa Barrow, like, exclusively Musa Barrow, even though I left him on my even though I left him on my team. It's gonna it's gonna be a, a new BTL article and it's gonna be titled uh an open letter apology to Musa Barrow in Gambia and it's gonna be just just why. Um let, let's talk about about Vincent Tabubakar then for, for for Cameroon because you you mentioned it he's he's the, the competition's top goal scorer um maybe the, the player of the competition he's been spectacular I think he was probably the first name in both of our teams in the group stage um, I mean, why? I, it's a simple question, but why? Why Abubakar instead of somebody else? Bro, you take away his goals, his impact alone is just ridiculous. He's, I mean, Abubakar is one of those players that just has an aura about him. You know, being the captain of a of a of a whole nation like that requires a lot. Like, there's a lot of pressure on your head, and he has just answered it with such cool and composure. And it's ridiculous. Every time he gets the ball, his touch is impeccable. Um, and then he gets his wingers involved. He gets the midfielders involved. His back to goal play is ridiculous. Um, you, you can play the ball through to him, and then he'll he'll latch onto it. Left foot, right foot. He he can do everything. So I mean, Abubakar, even without the goals, has probably still been the best striker in the tournament. So um, I mean, there's there's not much to say about um, Vincent Abubakar. And yeah, he's he's just been. And then on top of that, he's got five goals. And I doubt anyone's even going to get five goals. And he's hasn't even played his first knockout game yet. I think that's a, a really good point to make, that it's not just about his goal scoring, because he has been doing everything. And um, for a Cameroon side that have some some attacking talent, they've got Carl Toko Akambi, they've got uh, Mumi and Gamaleyu, they've got a player like Eric Maxim Chupamoting, who isn't even playing because of the presence of, of Vincent Dabubakar, a player who's he's played in Champions League finals. And he, he's, he's sitting behind Vincent Dabubakar. Um And I think this is... A fantastic encapsulation of of what this AFCON has been, right? Because as you mentioned at the top of the show, it's 
the, the pre-tournament storylines were all about those top European talents. And look at all the look at all these brilliant African footballers who are playing in AFCON. That's why that's the reason why you should be watching this competition with the same vigor that you watch the Euros and Copa America. Because it's gonna be players that you recognize. That was the selling point, wasn't it? That was that was the, the appeal. But the competition's top scorer is somebody who doesn't play in Europe at all. And I think that's what that's what is so impressive to me about, about Vincent Abubakar. Um and, and as you mentioned, it, it, five goals, two of them from the spot, three of them uh, from open play. But even without them, he's been so spectacular and he's been so crucial for this Cameroon side who are actively winning 1-0 in the 70th minute at the time of recording. Um, not sure who scored that goal. It might have been Abubakar. He might be at six now. I have to check the, the, the score sheet. But um, but no, you talk about um, – I think you're checking right now, aren't you? No, it wasn't. But he got the assist. There you go. I mean, that, that's perfect. I mean – this is a guy who, who, as you mentioned, I mean, I think um, typically you look at, at a, a striker like Abubakar, a big, strong striker, they're like, oh, he's just going to score goals. He's just going to bully people in the box and score goals. But he does so much more than that. And that's what makes him so appealing and so intriguing. And that's a, that he, he recorded his first assist in the competition in a knockout stage match against against Kamara. So um, I think I agree. The, the competition's best striker with or without the goals. But uh, I think the goals... The goals definitely help. I think the goal the goals help his case quite a bit. Um, finding the back of the net five times for a Cameroonian side that are really a player in terms of, of who can go on and uh, and win this whole thing. So, and he is one of the he and he's one of the biggest reasons for that. Like his goal scoring ability, his ability to bring other players into the game. Um, that's what makes them so dangerous. I mean, you you look at you look at the look at Mane for Senegal and um, players like that. And we were talking about Nicola Pepe and Musa Barrow, and he's he's that caliber of player. Like he's the talisman for that team. Right. Um, and, and, and it's not it's not a team like Gambia where you've got Musa Barrow and a bunch of other guys who are working for Musa or like working to get the best out of Musa Barrow. Like Cameroon are also a team with very, very good players. But even then, it's Vincent Abubakar who who is superior to them all. And it's just he's he's been incredible. He's been incredible. I think that that's a good point to note, because I thought that Abubakar's best game of the group stage was uh match day two when he scored twice and was playing alongside Chukamoting because he had a strike partner to play with instead of being the lone striker there. He thrived as a lone striker when he was playing as that. But just to have the, those guys to, to play off of, to have Chukamoting, to have Ngamaleu and, and uh, uh, Toko Akambi over on the left, it's, he, he's a player who thrives when he can do that kind of thing. He, he's so good when, when he's faced with a goal-scoring opportunity, but his ability to bring players into the game and, and create space for those players, I think, uh, that's a, an important note to make because I think a lot of times we'll talk about top scores in a competition. And it's all about, oh, look at this fantastic goal. Oh, my God, he, he, he can't miss. But um, Abubakar has been, been much, much more than that. And I think that's uh, evident with, with when you watch any time this Cameroon side play. It's, it's very, very evident. So um, those are our, our, our teams of the group stage. If you want to see, uh, see Mohammed's, you can check it out on the website if you want to see mine. Um, I don't know. I'll probably tweet it or something. I'll probably put it somewhere. You can find it. We, you can find it I think we agreed on we we agreed on eight players. If I'm, if I'm correct. Eight. Yeah. Now, now, now that I've changed my pick, do you do you think that's a good thing, or do you think it would have been more entertaining if we had more to argue about? See, if we had even we agreed on eighty percent of the team and we still spoke for about an hour, I that's think we would have been here. I think we would have been here till tomorrow if we had 11, <laughs> 11 different players. We'd still be talking about the defense if we disagreed on everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I we had two defenders, the entire midfield and the entire front three were, were the same. Now that I've changed wow. my pick. 
That's a good point. Uh, I, I think that's that's two two intelligent minds coming together for a consensus. I agree. I agree. All right, I'll I'll take I'll take it as a compliment. I think it's a good thing. Um, let's chat about the, the the bracket itself though for for a little bit um, because and I'm I'm going to pull it up because I probably should have it somewhere and of course I don't. So um, as we stand, most of our round of sixteen, uh, most of our quarterfinals, excuse me, has been uh, decided. Hasn't it? It, it? It's we're currently on match day three or four, uh, in this this round of sixteen, and we're about to be at the end of, of the third day. So we've got Burkina Faso Tunisia in one semifinal, Gambia versus likely uh, Cameroon in the other semi quarterfinal. Although if Comoros come back, that's going to sound super silly when I publish this because it's two 0 in the seventieth minute. But you never know. Um, and then we've got an untouched bottom half of, of the bracket. Was it Abubakar? Brilliant. Six goals, one assist. This guy's a wizard. I think he heard us talking about him and said, "I oh, want to give him one more." Um, yeah, so that's half. That's half of the next round already. Um, right. Yeah. So. So, but let's ask two questions. The first one. Wow, I didn't realize Ivory Coast and Egypt are going to be a fantastic uh, round of sixteen match. Um, let's take away the favorites. Let's take away the Senegal's, the Ivory Coasts. And we'll call we'll call Mali a favorite too, I guess. Well, yeah, we'll call Mali because we already know how we both feel about Mali. So for the sake of this discussion, we'll take them out. What side still in the competition do you see as most likely to make one of those surprise runs? Now that Nigeria are out. Now that Nigeria are out, because I thought um Burkina Faso were gonna get to the quarterfinals, play against Nigeria, and that's their tournament done. Mm. Now that Nigeria are out and it's Burkina Faso versus Tunisia. That's a much, much closer game. And I slightly give Burkina Faso the edge in that game. So that's one, that's one win against Tunisia away from a semifinal. You get to a semifinal like and that. anything can happen. Anything can happen in a semifinal. So um, I think Burkina Faso are the team that I, um, that I picked to go to the, to the semifinal, especially now that they don't have to face Nigeria. I like that take a lot, um, and and for good reason too. We, I mean, we, we've spoken about them at length, but they've got players. They've got guys who can. It, this I, I don't think genuinely. I think if Burkina Faso reached the semifinal, I think it's a it's maybe it's it's a surprise. I don't think you're penciling them in with a sharpie at the start of the competition, but I don't think it would be like some groundbreaking story. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely, like, for, for the question that's been asked, like, yes, I think Burkina Faso is the best answer. But I wouldn't look at that and be like, holy cow. Like, I think there it would be for a reason, and it's because it's a quality side. There, there, were, there, were, there were a lot of people, including myself, dark horses. Like, I thought, like, if there was one team that no one expected to make a run, it was going to be either Guinea or Burkina Faso. Okay. Because Mali, Mali, for me, were in that... Were in that um, Maybe not the top tier with Ivory Coast and Senegal, but they were definitely in the second tier of teams to me. Obviously, um, Burkina Faso were a team that I genuinely thought, okay, they could, if the draw and the chips fall in their direction, they could make a run. And I mean, I mean, the chips have now fallen in their direction because Nigeria have been handled on their behalf. Right. So, so now it's now it's in their hands to get to a to get to a semi final, and anything can happen when you get to a semi final. Yeah. Well, Burkina Faso, uh, AFCON semifinalists. It's a hell of a headline. Um, and it, it's... And it's not that big of a surprise if you follow no, the it's, it's not. not. It's not. It's not at all. Especially given their path. It's not a surprise at all. 
But I do um, think one side of the bracket is a lot more difficult. Since we're talking about the bracket, I feel like one side of the bracket is a lot more difficult than the other side of the bracket. Right. Because on one side, you've got Cameroon, Ivory Coast, Egypt, Morocco, all, on, all in one, one side. On the other side, you've got essentially Mali, well, Senegal, Burkina Faso. So one side is not as strong as the other, but... To be, to be fair, the other side did at one point have Nigeria. They just lost early. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I'm saying now that these, now right. that the results have happened the way they have, one side isn't, isn't necessarily as strong. Right. No, I, I do agree. I think, I, I don't know if this is fair to call them uh, a, like a team to make a run, but I have heard, and that's not my, my head is in the sand. I've heard nothing about Morocco, people liking them as a side that can make a run. I've heard nothing about Morocco as one of the sleepers or, or anything like that. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're highly ranked by FIFA. I think in African football, it goes Senegal, Tunisia, Morocco in terms of who the best nations are. But I've heard nobody talking about this Moroccan side. And it's a good side. Like, like, like Buffal has been one of the biggest chance creators of the group stage. He was a player who I was weighing potentially. Um, we've spoken about Hakimi already. Yusuf Endesiri is, is one of my favorite strikers in La Liga at, at Sevilla. I think he is uh, a, a top-tier goal scorer, and he hasn't done it a whole lot in the group stage. But this Moroccan side is still a good one, and they get a friendly draw in the round of 16 against Malawi, which they should win, Lord willing. They should win that match. No disrespect to Malawi, but it should be Morocco into the quarterfinal. And then after the quarterfinal, it's the winner of Ivory Coast and Egypt, which is a tough match regardless. And so maybe we're not talking about Morocco semifinalists, like we're talking about Burkina Faso semifinalists, but I think Morocco are still a side that can get a win over either one of those nations. Is that like a hot take, or is Morocco a side that is just being... It's not a hot away? take at all. It's not a hot take at all. Um, the reason I don't think a lot of teams, a lot of people are talking about Morocco, including myself, is because I feel like Morocco have a ceiling. And that ceiling is... If they, if they have an incredible tournament, they get to the semifinal. But all these other teams that we're talking about, Ivory Coast, Senegal, um, Nigeria before the tournament, they were all teams that we thought, okay, this team, you can see them winning it. But right. with, with Morocco, I don't think a lot of people think they can go all the way. Like with Burkina Faso, for example, a lot of us think, oh, it would be nice to see them in the semifinal. But how many of us genuinely believe that they can win that semifinal and go to the final and win the entire tournament? And I feel like even though... Morocco are a better team than Burkina Faso and have a lot and, and have more um, more depth and, and better players than Burkina Faso. I feel like once they do play against the Ivory Coasts and the Cameroons, I feel like they will just come up short. Obviously, they've they've got enough to to beat them, but I just feel like they they're heavily underdogs in those type of games, and I feel like that's one of the reasons that people are not talking about them enough. Yeah, that's fair. I, I just, it's been so quiet in the Morocco camp. And this is a side that, I mean, I mean, no, they're not in that, in that top tier of AFCON favorite. But I, my only counterpoint is that when you get to this stage of a competition, when you get to the, the knockout stage of an AFCON, that's already been so crazy. I don't care what their pre-tournament ceiling was because that's all been flipped on its head. We look at Burkina Faso. I mean, Burkina Faso, what, what did we think Burkina Faso's ceiling was pre-tournament? I don't think it was a semifinal, but they're a win away from getting there. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a very good point. I mean, this is this is gonna sound crazy. This one's gonna sound crazy, but I think Gambia give Cameroon a run for their money. Don't hate it. And the reason the reason I say that is they've played Mali, right? They got a result against Mali, right? They played against Guinea today, 
And they were the better side for the majority of that game. Like, I watched that game thinking, okay, this is going to be one of those games where Gambia just sit behind the ball. Um, they understand the quality of Guinea. Granted, they didn't have their captain and talisman, Nabi Keita. They still had way more talent than Gambia. Gambia were the better team, like, straight from, straight from kickoff. They right, created right. a chance within the first two or three minutes. They, they were on top of them. They were pressuring them. They were the better side. So this Gambia side don't seem like a team that's just going to sit back and let you play the game you're playing. And that's very, very dangerous, especially when you have a player like Musa Barrow who's going who's gonna to finish every single chance that he gets. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I understand tough, Cameroon, Cameroon, they're the whole nation. Cameroon are the heavy favourites in that game, but I wouldn't be out of this world shocked if Gambia were to get a result. And I think Gambia have done enough so far to earn that, at least. Because, I mean, in a knockout game, you just need to not concede a goal and you get to a penalty shootout, which means, like... And this this hasn't been a tournament that's been filled with massive goal margins. You just need to keep a clean sheet and you go to a penalty shootout, which is a lottery at the end of it, and that's all it comes down to. You're convincing me. You're you're, you're swaying me into the Gambia in the because I I mean, when I looked at this bracket initially, I was like, okay, Cameroon semifinalists, that's that. But you're right. I mean, Gambia are a side that have gotten results against bigger nations. They've they've they're, they're, they don't, they don't play afraid. I think that's a big thing. Is they don't play afraid. They understand that at this point, and this, you know what? It's so dangerous playing against sides like Gambia at this stage of a competition, right? Because they know that they're playing with house money, I feel like. They, they know that, that whatever happens from here on out, they can be proud of the tournament they've had. And that's the most dangerous kind of side to play against. I would so much rather play against a better side that has expectations to go on a run than a lesser side who's already achieved what they've wanted to achieve. Because those are the ones that play with no fear. And that, those are scariest things to play against. And that's what Gambia are right now. And you want to talk about a side with expectation, Cameroon are the host nation. Cameroon are, are, are going to be expected to win this match in front of their home fans and in the capital. So I don't hate that at all. I, I, I genuinely actually, you know what, if we're going to get one more surprise, I think that could be it. Gambia beats Cameroon. I mean, they beat Tunisia and drew against Mali. They're more than capable of getting a right. result. They're more than capable of getting a result against Cameroon. And Cameroon's not as good, not as good of a side as Mali. I mean, I think they're better than Tunisia, but they're not as... I mean, bro, I, I think Gambia could possibly create an upset. Yeah. Possibly. I don't disagree. Um, as, as we speak about Cameroon, Comoros has just scored. Comoros just scored, yeah. Uh-oh. They are, yeah. It was a free kick? Oh, wow. Hell of a free kick. This is live commentary on, on uh, the BTL podcast for a match that's probably by the time you're listening to it two or three days ago. But uh, all right. So so that's that. We like we like uh, we like Burkina Faso. We like Morocco. We like Gambia as sides that can can go a bit further in this competition. What is your final? Let, let, let's lock it in now, because I, I think group stage predictions, I, I, I messed up horribly. I'm punting that one out the window. This is what matters. What's your final and who's your winner? Senegal versus... Oh. The thing is, right, I feel like the winner of Senegal versus Mali will beat the winner of Burkina Faso versus Tunisia in the semifinal. So, okay. um, so that team's there. But I feel like we're going to get an Ivory Coast and Cameroon semifinal and I can't pick. 
I can't pick. Like, Ivory Coast are more talented, but then it's a semi-final. You're the home nation. You're one game away from a final in your home, your, in your home stadium. Oh, God, that's difficult. I'm going to... I'm going to go Ivory Coast and Senegal. Okay. That's my final. And... I don't see Senegal losing two finals in a row, so I think Senegal win their first Africa Cup of Nations. I like it. It's a, it's a safe play. I mean, I feel like if you've picked Senegal pre-tournament, you can't go away from them now. Mm. That you was know? my pre-tournament. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to go away from Senegal. Oh, I know. Um, getting to the final, but in the final against Ivory Coast, especially now that Senegal haven't lived up to expectation, you kind of wonder, can they have enough for Ivory Coast who seem to be scoring at will and they seem to be clipping, clicking right now? Right. No, and I, I agree. I think that would be a fantastic final if we got it, is Senegal and Ivory Coast. I'm going to go I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for Ivory Coast in the final, I think, because I had Ivory Coast in the final pre-tournament, and they haven't gotten worse than I expected. They've been better, so why take them out of the, out of the final now? Although a, a semifinal against Cameroon would be thrilling. But I'm going to go Ivory Coast versus Mali in the final. I think can't, Mali you can't knock it. You can't, you can't knock that. You can't knock that. Dude, there's something about it. There's something about this Mali side. Senegal haven't Senegal have been disappointing. Senegal have been disappointing. And that, there's no way they've scored they scored one penalty in the 92nd minute of a game against Zimbabwe. They've not been good at right. all. So unless they dramatically pick it up now, and it's not gonna they're not gonna pick it up in a in a in a final against um I mean in a quarterfinal against Mali. I mean they need to be a lot better. They'll beat Cape Verde with ease. I have I have no doubt about right, that. Right, I agree. But the Mali quarterfinal, that's huge. Because Mali's nothing like they've played so far. And do you know what the big thing is for me is if Senegal, I mean, if Sadio Mane plays as number 10, which he's been doing, Mali are, are fine. I mean, Mali, have, we, we spoke about Mali's midfielders at length with, with Haidar and Basuma and, and uh, uh, Samaseku and, and the like. And Mane's not been good, this, this commentation. He's not been very good. And, and if you, you play predominantly centrally against a really good, what could be a pivot if Mali changed shape with Basuma and Haidar, there's not going to be much for money to feed off of. And that's the engine of this side. They need other players to... They need... Because um, even though Mane hasn't been good, he's been the best player going forward right. for them, for sure. Like, he's created all of their chances. He scored their one goal from the penalty spot. He, he's probably not going to have much if he plays in a number 10 against Basum and Haidara, if we're being completely honest. Unless he plays like the Sadio Mane that we all know, but... They need other play- they need other players to to is Ismail Assar back, by the way. I be- believe he is, which I don't understand why Watford didn't let uh uh who uh, Dennis go, but they let Ismail Assar go. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I, th- I think Ismail Assar is back. But even still, I mean you need if, if you if, if you're Senegal, you 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 get to the semifinal and finals competition because of what Sadio Mane gives you. You know, I, I don't... If, if you're telling me Senegal are going to beat Mali because of Ismail Assar, I'm not going to buy it. That, that's just where I'm at. He's good, but... I'm, I'm, at, the same time, at the same time, what is in Senegal's favour that is in no other team's favour is they've got arguably the best centre-back duo in the yes. entire tournament. I mean, you've got arguably the best centre-back in the entire world, Khalidou Koulibaly. And you've got Diallo. So, I mean, Mali's going to struggle to score goals as well. 
That could that could be one nil. That could, or a nil nil in penalties. Because you just need one moment of magic from Sadio Mane. Right, that's true. Because they, I mean, Senegal could go through the entire tournament without conceding a single goal. I mean, say, but but and and they could do and they could do that and still only score at this point one, two, three, four, like five goals in seven matches and still win the whole thing. That's crazy. But you're right. They, they, I mean, they, defensively, they're they're spectacular, and we didn't speak about Senegal's midfield much, but they've got uh, more defensively. They've got they've got quality midfielders to play behind. Sadio Mane Gay and Kuyate, so they, they they're pretty good as well. But it's just right. a just a matter of they're just not clicking. The front three, front four is just not clicking at all. Right, and that that's the concern. That's my concern against a cohesive unit, which is Mali, who have exceeded exceeded expectations. And you know, if you're a side like Senegal, who have all this individual ability, but aren't putting it together, the last thing you want to do is go against a side that might be worse than you, but is playing more more cohesively than you. I think that's the biggest fear. I've got Ivory Coast beating Mali in the Afcon in the Afcon final. Ivory Coast winning it all, hoisting the trophy. I was hesitant to pick them um, at the at the start of the competition for the reasons that we've laid out because they've been so underwhelming. Um, maybe it's naive to say that I'm over that now because of how they played in the group stage, but I think that uh, if if they flopped against Egypt, it would be uncharacteristic of what they've done so far. So I, I wouldn't be expecting it, but we'll see. I, no, I, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with you. I mean, Ivory Coast have impressed me as well because I remember we were talking um, the first couple of times we spoke and I was, talk- I was talking about your um, video and you said, Ivory Coast, you're going to, they're your favorite and stuff. And I was like, my main point was they've always had these players. It's just been a chemistry issue. Right. They seem to have kind of gotten over that hump and they're playing at a very, very good level. A lot of that is due to um, the link-up play between Sangare and the, the forward line. Sebastian Heller is always going to finish um, Nicola Pepe is coming to his own. So um, if all of these things are in their favor, I don't think even Senegal can beat them. So, right. so I mean, it's a, it's a very good pick and they've gotten over the one thing that seemed to be an issue, but it's just a matter of seeing whether they can do it against the better sides. Right. I, 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 but, but to be fair, they did it. They, they did it against Algeria. They, they, they really, really controlled them. Algeria never looked like should have scored seven or seven or eight. They yeah. really wanted to against Algeria. Exactly. I mean, and if you look at the, the field now, and if you take into account the fact that Nigeria is gone and the fact that Senegal are not playing at their best, it's not a hot take to say that Ivory Coast are the best team remaining. I think you can absolutely make an argument based on form and ability. Um, so there we go. That, those are our picks, and uh, no, no changing them now. Once, once this podcast ends, there's no changing them. That's what I'm locking into. So we've got Ivory Coast, Mali, and Ivory Coast, Senegal. You've got Senegal beating Ivory Coast. I've got Ivory Coast beating Mali. So it should be thrilling. I'm glad we I'm glad we have some disagreement. So there's some more to talk about going forward. Like it's fun to agree, but you know, I, I it's fun to disagree as well. So um thank you again for jumping on. This is a ton of fun. And I know it was uh, uh, a bit past due, but I'm very glad that you were able to uh, to jump on and, and hopefully we can we can do this again for sure. Um I think I think we should do this one more time before um before the final. Like so when the finals decided. We can we can jump on and preview the final and see how correct we were and stuff like that. Oh we gosh, about, we can talk, we can talk about those team the two teams left in the final in depth. Yeah, I like that, and uh, we can go back and and I always hate revisiting old picks because I never get them right. But no, we'll we'll do that for sure. Um, whether it, whether it be episode thirteen, depending on the count, I'd look at the calendar because the finals on the sixth today is what the the twenty fourth. So yeah, so maybe we'll we'll do that for sure. Um, 
it'll be a ton of fun. So come back, all, all the listeners, come back on episode, what should be episode 14, to uh, to hear Muhammad and I speak about AFCON again. Would you like to go ahead briefly and, and plug everywhere that the listeners can find you on Twitter? I don't know if you have any bylines anywhere, whatever you want. Go ahead and this is your time. I mean, um, if you if you find my Twitter at Salad NFL, you'll find everything else there. I mean, everything's in my bio. So at Salad NFL on Twitter. And um, yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. Now. I, re- I really appreciate it. Um, it's been a ton of fun. I've really enjoyed that. And we've had some disagreements, but it seems like we agree on most things. So it's been cool. Yeah, this is a good time. We uh, will definitely do it again. So that's that. An hour and a half, which is, it sounds crazy because we were, we were planning for 40 minutes. An hour and a half of conversation. Um, and if you've been a guest on this podcast before, you know that that is customary here is we plan for a certain amount of time and then we just blow straight past it. I think we're four for four on that front. Um, but an hour and a half of conversation and we, we hardly disagree on anything, which I like to think means that great minds think alike. Um, that's at least what I'm telling myself. If you want to find Mohammed on social media, check out his Twitter. Like he said, at Salat NFL, big time American football fan as well. Um, so if you're a fan of both sports, it's the dream. If you're only a fan of one, then uh, why not? Why not pick up a second? As for us, uh, subscribe to this podcast, but also all of our podcasts. We have a really, really expansive podcast network that seems to be growing by the week at Breaking the Lines. Uh, if you subscribe to uh, the the account that you found this episode on, you'll be subscribed to all of them, and they're all good ones. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow myself on Twitter at WillFowler5. Follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter at BTLVid. And check out our website, www.breakingthelines.com. You won't want to miss anything that we do from now until, oh gosh, whenever the, the I don't, never, you don't want to miss anything, is all I'm trying to say. I don't want to speculate on any kind of ending. Starting now until whenever. You won't want to miss a single thing because it's all good stuff. Uh, keep an eye out for episode 13 of the podcast. There's so many storylines upcoming that um, I, I'm planning to dive into. We want to do a big, expansive uh, transfer window recap of January, and that timing lines up perfectly with the end of the window and the, where the next episode will drop, so keep an eye out for that. Um, as we kind of alluded to, we're going to get Mohammed back on the podcast when the AFCON final rolls around to preview that a bit more in-depth. Uh, Champions League and Europa League knockout previews are on the way, and we'll get some guests on for those as well. So there's so much good content on the horizon, such a fun point in the football calendar. You're not going to want to miss any of that stuff. So, so again, subscribe, follow, do everything, because the next few episodes are going to be really, really exciting. Keep an eye out for that. But until then, my name is Will Fowler. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Tactics Room Podcast presented by Breaking the Lines. Thank you.